How's it going, everybody? We are back. Another episode of NFL Friday on this December 4th of 2020. It's officially the fourth quarter of the NFL season as we recap the longest week in NFL history. Tennessee grabs a big win over the Colts to take first place in the AFC South. The Chiefs continue to roll with a big win against Tampa Bay and questions mounting about Tom Brady's fit in Bruce Arians' offense and the Giants' sneak into first place in the lowly NFC East with a win over the Bengals, but suffer a big injury to their quarterback, Daniel Jones. Here to break it all down with you, the guy on the other side of my Zoom screen is Jackson Heil. I'm Nick DeLuca. Jackson, so much craziness to break down from week 12 and then going into week 13. A pleasure to be here as always with you. Nick, you know it's always a pleasure, and we're getting the double dose this past week. I mean, one-on-one last week, now we get to do NFL Friday together. I feel like I hadn't talked to you in like five five months, it felt like, so it's a bit of a market correction here, and I'm happy to be with you, and like you mentioned, there is a lot to break down, and you mentioned we're starting off with Titans-Colts, and rightfully so, but I mean, there's just so much more that's going on in this NFL season, and like you said, excited to break it all down with you. And it's so crazy. You're trying to figure out when these teams are going to play, when the games are going to get scheduled. And it's you're sitting there like, all right, we're, we're going to watch the Ravens and Steelers play on Thanksgiving. This could be a really good game. And then, nope, that's, that's, that's not happening. And then, okay, well, it's going to be on Sunday during the day. Cool. All right. Well, still a good game that I'm interested in watching. Nope. Monday, no. Nope. Nope. Tuesday. And then, okay, we're playing on Wednesday. And Robert Griffin the third, and then Trace McSorley are going to play quarterback for – the Baltimore Ravens, but that game was at least a little bit more competitive than maybe a lot of people thought going in, but just such a crazy week with everything going on. So let's get into it and try and unpack some of this craziness, starting with the Tennessee Titans defeating the Indianapolis Colts 45-26. This game played in Indy and was for first place in the AFC South. The Titans answer the bell and they were excellent. And it starts with Derrick Henry, who got 27 carries, 178 yards, and three touchdowns as that Tennessee offense was rolling. You know that their offense is capable of putting up that type of production. They got it done on the defensive side of the football, and it was a massive victory for them in taking a stranglehold going forward and winning that division. Certainly is. And I think that, I mean, it's never going to happen where we would consider a running back for the MVP and rightfully for a lot of reasons that is true, but I think you have to look at Derrick Henry and where the Titans are at right now. Like you said, at eight and three first place in the AFC South coming off a monstrous win after he goes for 178 yards and three touchdowns. I think it's time to legitimately start considering Derrick Henry as an MVP candidate. And it really depends on how you define most valuable player, but I think you look down the list and and maybe other than Patrick Mahomes, I don't know if there's a guy who's more valuable to their organization right now than Derrick Henry. And and we really saw it from the postseason last year. I mean, he single-handedly took down the Ravens, the Pats, and almost managed to find a way to take down the Chiefs as they were up by double digits in the first half. But you look at this year, it's been a lot of the same from this Tennessee Titans offense. I mean, you just look at the last two weeks specifically. They went in overtime against the Ravens, a game that he was the brunt and pretty much the entire offense for them. You look at this week, I mean, yeah, Tannehill has a decent game, 221 yards and a touchdown, but the entire offense goes through Henry. And, and he's getting 30 touches consistently 
each week. It, it almost reminds me of when he was at Alabama and he was getting close to 35 to 40 carries, it seems like, in every big game. And he is a fridge. There's no other way to put it. I, that might be understating it at this point. It kind of feels like understating it. But, I, I mean, this guy, I, I don't know if you can find me more than one guy who's more valuable to their organization right now than Derrick Henry. You Listen, Mahomes is obviously a very easy argument. He's probably the MVP right now, and I have no problem with that. But is there really a clear-cut number two right now other than Derrick Henry? It's hard for me to say at this point. It's amazing because when you look at the scope of their offense, not that Ryan Tannehill hasn't been excellent at times throughout his tenure with Tennessee, and it's not to say that Tennessee doesn't have weapons on the outside, A.J. Brown and, and what they run with some of their receivers. This is a very good offense. But you sit back and say, is there another team that relies on one offensive piece that is not a quarterback in the NFL the way Tennessee does of Derrick Henry? And I don't think it exists. He's kind of on the level, and I don't – I, it may be sacrilegious to say this this way, but he's kind of on the level of importance of, of a guy almost like Patrick Mahomes to the yeah. Chiefs offense. And it's it sounds ridiculous to say, and by nature of the position, he still can't make that type of impact because he's a running back. But in the same way that you know that the Chiefs offense runs through Patrick Mahomes, everything's going to happen the way he wants it to happen, and you're not going to be able to do anything about it despite knowing that. You know Tennessee is going to come up and run the football, and they can't stop it. And, and look, to me, th- this was so impressive because of the way that Indianapolis's defense had played through th- most of this season. This was a really good defense that Tennessee was able to hang 45 on. Now, that's really impressive. And to me, th- this just goes to show you that Tennessee has that old-school football formula where it's, look, we're going to get out there, we're going to run, run the football and stop the run run for 230 yards in that game, run for four touchdowns. Tannehill gets the one, Henry the three, and they stop the run. Indianapolis, 21 carries, 56 yards. So they certainly have that winning formula. We'll see if it translates to the modern NFL because you still have to have questions about, I I know that they're really good at the ball control and the way things work, but man, oh man, is that Kansas City offense explosive. And I don't know if that's going to be a preview of the AFC championship game. But as you look at the scope of the AFC, if there's anyone that you're picking to knock off Kansas City, and I know that that sounds ridiculous because they're still the favorite, regardless of what Pittsburgh has done being 11-0 and credit to them for winning the games on their schedule. But Kansas City is still the favorite. There's no denying that. I think that Tennessee has the best shot at knocking them off of the rest of the AFC playoff picture, despite what Pittsburgh has done so far this year. I think you bring up a really interesting point, too, because you have to consider can this team make the Super Bowl with such a run-heavy offense. I mean, you look at what Derrick Henry's production has been this year. I mean, his lowest carry total this year is 18, which is remarkable, to say the least, because you look at some of the games that he's had. I mean, 31 carries. His last two games, he has 55 total carries and 58 total touches combined in his last two games. Like, that's insane in itself. But I think the thing that makes them so difficult to go up against, and I think a lot of it, also kind of it's a little similar to what the Ravens went through last year is that you have to game plan a lot differently for this team than you're used to game planning against really good teams because they are so run heavy. I mean, you look at the Ravens last year, and I think part of the reason that the Titans match up so well against the Ravens and why they're able to beat the Ravens last year is because it's a taste of their own medicine. The Ravens 
run the ball a ton, obviously, with their quarterback, their running back. They don't really extend the ball downfield. I think the biggest difference to me between the Ravens and the Titans is that, listen, I think Ryan Tannehill can play. And I'm not saying Lamar Jackson can. I mean, he's the MVP last year for a reason. But their skill sets are a lot different. And I think Tannehill's skill sets actually set up perfectly for this Titans offense because, yeah, they don't take a ton of shots. But Tannehill can take those shots downfield. And that's what I think makes them different because, yes, you're expecting to run so much, but they have the ability to work in play action and make deep plays down the field. And they have the weapons to do that in A.J. Brown, Corey Davis, who have both been really good this year when they've been given the targets to do so. So I think that's the real difference for the Titans for me is that, yes, we can talk about the difference in game plan, but that's the same for the Ravens. The difference to me is that Ryan Tannehill fits this offense a lot better and kind of expands them a lot more than what Lamar Jackson does. And again, that is not an indictment on Lamar Jackson whatsoever. There's a reason this guy was the most valuable player a year ago, and his skill set is so unique in itself. But I think Ryan Tannehill actually fits a lot better for what this Titans team is doing than what Lamar Jackson fits into what this Ravens team is doing. And it makes that offense so much more explosive going forward. I think two things you mentioned towards the end of what you were saying make the difference. And it's not any difference between Ryan Tannehill or Lamar Jackson. It's A.J. Brown and Corey Davis. To me, that's the difference. The weapons on Tennessee's offense are far superior to what the Ravens are running out there. And, by the way, right now have a superior offensive line as well. Not to say that Baltimore's offensive line, when fully healthy, may not be that way. Ronnie Stanley losing him for the season is a huge loss. Mm -hmm. And then when you go back to last year, you've got – Marshall Yonda there, who's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He retires. So things, of course, have shifted and look very different. But A.J. Brown and Corey Davis are crucial to this offense. Brown, four receptions, 98 yards and a touchdown. Last weekend, Corey Davis, three for 70. So the long for those two, where they get nine combined targets, the long catch for A.J. Brown is the touchdown for 69 yards. Corey Davis catches a 37-yard pass. These are guys who can take the top off of your defense and make it really difficult to defend them because you can't just sit there and stack the box and say, we're taking away Derrick Henry without the threat of getting beat for a 69 yard touchdown reception by AJ Brown. The Ravens don't have that. To me, that's the distinction where whatever it is, whether it's Lamar Jackson, not being on the same page, them not having the protection or Marquise Brown, having double the attention and there's no other threat because you're not throwing the 70 yard touchdown pass Mm -hmm. to Willie Sneed the fourth. So there's nothing left, but that to me is the biggest distinction. And and it's just an overall really well-run unit. I think that Arthur Smith does a great job with the play calling that they have there. Mike Vrabel understands the identity of this team and it starts and, and in many cases finishes with Derrick Henry, but At the same time, Ryan Tannehill is a crucial piece being able to push the football down the field. And with some of the receivers and weapons that they have with Davis and Brown, it's a really well-rounded group that is going to put up 45 against an Indianapolis defense that I think a lot of people held in pretty high regard coming into this game. And that was a really impressive performance. So we were talking about the broader AFC playoff picture. Let's shift to who I called the favorite. That's the Kansas City Chiefs. They win what was a laugher early, made close late by a couple of late touchdowns 
by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the fourth quarter of this one. It goes 27-24. Patrick Mahomes was ridiculous in this game. How about 37 of 49 for 462 and three touchdowns? Tyreek Hill, uh, yeah, he was pretty good in that game too. How about 13 catches for 269 and three touchdowns? If you had Tyreek Hill on your fantasy team, you were a very happy camper, and that was after the first quarter. That that doesn't even go for the rest of the game. Tyreek Hill was outstanding. And the ability for that Kansas City offense to strike quickly. A lot of teams in in the defensive game plan are sitting there and saying, we're not going to let Patrick Mahomes beat us. We're not going to let Tyree Kill run wild and take the top off of our defense. That was clearly not Todd Bowles' plan. And, well, that plan didn't go so well. It didn't. And I think this is the big thing you have to realize with the Chiefs is that even when you game plan for Travis Kelsey, you have Tyree Kill. And you – you can't play one-on-one coverage versus Tyreek Hill and cause, because he will expose you if you go cover zero. There, there's no other way to say it because you look at how many times that Todd Bowles tried to blitz in big spots, early, even early in the game, and Tyreek Hill was open all the time. And, and that's just because he's such an explosive playmaker and his speed. But I think what makes the Chiefs run so well is that you, you have to game plan for those two specifically each day because, I mean, normally with – a team, you look at their offense, you can game plan for one guy. You can't in this offense because not only because Kelsey and Hill are so good, but because you also have Patrick Mahomes who can not only spread it out, but he will find ways to throw these guys open, which we saw in the first quarter alone for Tyree Hill, who had what he had like seven for two Oh three and two touchdowns in the first quarter. That's unbelievable. I don't think I'll ever see a stat line like that, nor a performance like that ever again, to be quite honest with you. But that's what makes the Chiefs so dangerous. But I, I want to touch on something that you mentioned in the rundown of the show, and and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense and what Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, the heads clashing yet again, is becoming even more problematic than I think even we realized. And we talked about this last week on one-on-one and how it's something to monitor going forward. I think we've reached the breaking point now with this offense, Nick. And you just look at what they tried to do last week. And, and listen, I, I don't think this is a Chiefs defense that is very good by any means. I mean, they got gashed by Derek Carr and the Raiders just a week ago. And the Chiefs really took the Bucks out of the game offensively in this first half because, one, I think they really have to find a way to run the ball. Because this is a team where you have Leonard Fournette, who I think is tremendously talented. Ronald Jones, who I think is a top-five talent in terms of running the football in the NFL, they have not found a way to consistently gain yards on the ground. Then again, they don't really utilize the intermediate and short passing game as much as they should because Bruce Arians loves to throw the ball downfield. And let's be honest, we're in a situation where Tom Brady at his age is really not all that effective throwing the ball downfield. I mean, I point to one play specifically in this game. Actually, it's a series of two plays where Brady makes a great throw downfield to Chris Godwin, um, who makes a terrific catch. It was about a 40-yard catch that put them in field goal range. And then the next play, he tries to take another shot over the top in one-on-one coverage to Scotty Miller, and it gets picked off by Rashad Preland, I believe. Um, Underthrown by three or four yards. Yeah, underthrown and under pressure was Tom Brady. And and let alone just trying to throw a jump ball to Scotty Miller isn't going to work just considering his size. So that's where I look at this offense and say there needs to be serious changes. And I don't know how they need to do it specifically, but to me it really starts with the run game because you look at the Patriots and what they've done 
with Tom Brady, really over the last five years where they've been successful, it, it wasn't the passing game that really won them games. It was what they were able to do on the ground on offense that really allowed them to create plays in the passing game. And this offense hasn't done it enough, and it's it's shocking to me because they have a ton of talent at running back. And I think that, yeah, their offensive line has gone through falters at times, but it's, overall I think it's a pretty good offensive line, um, even though it's gone through growing pains this year. But I, I think that specifically if they're not going to look to utilize the intermediate passing game, which let's be honest, it's not really a linch point of – Bruce Arians' offense, they got to find a way to start getting some production on the ground. And they haven't found a way to do it. And if they don't, I I don't know if this team is going to make the playoffs at this rate, Nick. I think they'll end up making the playoffs, but how far will they go or how much can we expect from them come playoff time is a different matter. And I think if it's a one and done for Tampa Bay in the playoffs I think it'll be a one and done for Bruce Arians with Tom Brady as well so we'll just keep that in mind but they're not running the football I think you hit it on the head here 13 carries for 75 yards Ronald Jones had nine carries in that game Leonard Fournette had three Ronald Jones had nine carries for 66 yards right so it wasn't like it wasn't effective they were able to run the football at least in spots and and look there's also a part of this where they fall behind 17 nothing in the first quarter. So game yeah, script does sure. play a part in, in what we've seen from them in this game. But at the same time, they also set the NFL record for fewest rushing attempts earlier this season with five. So they're not running the football. They're not running play action, which is also a big part of what has made Tom Brady really successful throughout his career in New England and, by the way, has been really successful for him here in Tampa Bay, and yet they don't seem to want to do it. So it's just a really confusing matchup between the marriage, rather, between these two, uh, Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, and trying to figure out what's sort of going on. And it, it seems to me as though Arians is giving Brady the freedom to sort of do what he wants to do and run the offensive plays that he wants to run, but within the confines of Arians' offense. And that's just not where Brady is going to be most effective. And look, there are times where players decline and you need to play to their strengths. There's no denying that Tom Brady isn't really getting it done either. He's not playing well right now. But at 43 years old, there's still, to me, good enough football left in him where if you play to his strengths and operate an offense in a way that suits him, he's going to be effective. They need to spread everything out, allow him to read defenses in the way that he can. He is really good pre-snap and understanding the way that defenses want to attack him. So spread things out, let him diagnose and pick teams apart the way he did for 18, 19, and 20 years in New England. To me, it's really that simple, and it's that it's that much easier when you're looking at play action because it it freezes defenders and it doesn't allow them to get into their spots as quickly. You have to hesitate for a moment, but to me, that's the biggest thing. They just need to use play action and figure out what makes Brady most comfortable because this offense is not what we expected. There are too many weapons here. There's Godwin. There's Evans. There's Antonio Brown. You've got two pretty good running backs in the backfield as well. And and this is this is an offense that should really be lighting things up and they are not doing that at all. And as I was joking with you before the show, 
if they don't figure this thing out in short order on this bye week for them, this Tampa Bay organization has Josh McDaniels coaching this team next year written all over it. It really does. And it's, it's a difficult situation. And I'm not saying that Bruce Arians necessarily deserves that, but you know what? Tom Brady's not getting any younger. He's on a two-year deal. He, he's, he is clearly in decline. I don't know where the championship window is at right now for this team. Brady's going to want to win now, and if he doesn't feel like his coach is putting him in the best position to win, it's clear that he wields a lot of power within that organization, and to me, they, they might be looking for a new head coach. And here's the question that I keep coming back to with this Tampa Bay Bucks team, and, and it goes back to what they did in the offseason because – you knew you had a coach in Bruce Arians just from watching over his career. You know he is a coach that is a big play offense, and he likes to throw the ball deep downfield, and we knew that was the case coming into this. So if you're the Bucks and you're in this situation, and this might sound crazy, but this is exactly honestly what we talked about on one-on-one last week. I look at the Bucks from a year ago to today, and I still see a better fit in this offense is Jameis Winston and Tom Brady. And and that might sound crazy, but you it's, look at what Jameis Winston's skill set is, it's throwing the ball downfield. And, yes, the turnovers are an issue, and that is not up for discussion. The turnovers are a problem last year. You can't throw 30 picks in a season. However, you knew you were bringing Tom Brady into this equation here. If Bruce Arians wasn't going to adjust his offense, then bringing Tom Brady into the equation, if they knew that before this all happened and had this has all transpired bringing Tom Brady into this was a complete mistake for this Bucks team because you could have gone in a few directions you could have drafted a quarterback possibly which I think would have been a better option than honestly keeping Jameis Winston or going with Tom Brady you could have stuck with Jameis Winston which I think is a better option than Tom Brady or you should have hired a new head coach that is going to fit what Tom Brady is going to do molding these two together where these heads like to do completely different things. And at 43 years old, you know Tom Brady's going to have a lot of influence over this organization and the direction that they go over the next two years. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me why this marriage happened in the first place, especially if we knew that Bruce Arians was going to keep his offense the same. And when you have egos like that and when they collide, we know it doesn't end very well unless they're on the same page. And Nick, right now, these guys aren't even close to being on the same page. And it makes me question what the discussions were like when they thought about bringing Brady to Tampa Bay in the first place, because I'm honestly quite puzzled as to whether Arians had plans to change his offense a little bit at all. And I don't don't necessarily think he should have, but at the same time, on the other end of the spectrum, why bring Tom Brady in if you knew Arians wasn't going to change much about his offense? Well, I'm sure they both said stuff at the time that said, yeah, I'll run Arians' offense and Arians was going to run the type of plays that, Tom ran in New England, and I'm sure that that was part of the discussion and, of course, did not end up that way. You know, I'll I'll tell you this right now, though. If Bruce Arians is on the way out in Tampa Bay, you know who would look pretty good in that no-risk-it-no-biscuit offense? Uh, You know, for your New York Jets fans, I think Trevor Lawrence would look pretty good pushing that football down the field. We'll hold on that conversation. You know what? I'm not going to have that conversation because I know we got to move on, but I was having some similar thoughts about – Bruce Arians to New York, and I think it would be a good fit because, um, honestly, like I like Bruce Arians as a head coach. I, I like that he's willing to take risks, and I think a lot of what the NFL is today is you have to be willing to make plays downfield. And we see with the Jets right now, Adam Gase shows no interest. And you mentioned before the show, 
looks like they have the training wheels still on. Bruce Arians is the opposite. You're getting on that bike no matter if you like it or not. And I think that's how a lot of quarterbacks should be, um, to be honest. And that's how they should be treated. But um, I just think it, I think it is a good fit. I completely agree with you. I'm not sure they should go in that direction, but I think it would be a good fit if they opted to do that. Well, who knows if he'll be available sure. and how he meshes with the New York media. That is also part of this. And if there's going to be public criticism of Trevor Lawrence and a young quarterback and a rookie quarterback, that may uh, may, may result in some different results or, or may feel differently than him even criticizing Tom Brady. So that is also a, a cause for pause there too, but we'll see who knows. And, and mm-hmm. it'll be a crazy off season with that whole thing. And look, Maybe the maybe the Buccaneers will work everything out and everything will be fine and Bruce Arians will be in Tampa Bay next Ooh, year we'll because those guys have figured it out on this bye week. We will see. There's no way to tell right now. On to the other New York team, it is the first place in the NFC East. I can't believe I'm saying that, New York Giants. You're not the with, only one. With what was kind of an ugly 19-17 win over the Cincinnati Bengals. Ugly in more ways than one. The play on the field wasn't fantastic. Their defense, I thought, did a very good job, but at the same time playing against Brandon Allen, who is no one to speak of at the quarterback position for Cincinnati, of course, with Joe Burrow out for the season. The Giants' offense did not look particularly inspiring, although we will get to the Daniel Jones injury in a moment, and then Colt McCoy comes in, and that sort of reduces their ability to move the football later in that football game. But the Giants are in first place in the NFC East. They do have a difficult road ahead. They get Seattle this week coming up, and we'll get to all of those in our Pick'em segment for Week 13 at the end of the show. But just a lot to take in with the New York Giants, who are headed in the right direction but the injury to Jones is concerning. He's doubtful, probably won't play this week. And as tight as things are in this NFC East, having Colt McCoy in a matchup you're probably not going to win is not going to lend toward something that you're really happy about going forward. It, it isn't, but at the same time, it's not the worst game for him to miss because I'm not saying you're chalking this up as a loss to Seattle given their eight and three, but you're chalking no, honestly, it up as a loss. You're chalking it up as a loss because at four and seven, even if you're in first place, you're probably not beating the Seattle Seahawks team, especially after the performance they put forward last week against the Bengals, where they had to sweat out a win, almost pray that Brandon Allen was the worst quarterback in the NFL on Sunday, which he which looked he like. Proved. He yeah, which he, he did a great job of proving, especially um, on that final drive. It really only took one play on that final drive, but it happened. But you got to be at least mildly impressed by the way the Giants have recovered, at least. And listen, a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're in the worst division in NFL history in all likelihood. But this is a team that could have easily folded right away. Um, you've been in a lot of close games. You've lost a lot of close games. You have a first-year head coach in Joe Judge. Um, a lot of things could have turned really poorly for the Giants. And you could argue they have, and they're just a product of their environment right now. But they didn't fold, and they won a big game against the Eagles. They are able to gut out a win against the Bengals last week, like we talked about, and now they're in a position where after two wins against the Washington football team, they are in the driver's seat in this division, and they control their own destiny at this point. And for that, you got to admire what the Giants have been through. And, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that they've been really all that impressive at all because at 4-7, and seven, how can you say they've been that impressive? But 
for a team that has been in a lot of really tight games with a first-year coaching staff, essentially, led by Joe Judge, it could have been very easy for this team when they were at 1-5, one 1-6, and one and to really just fall and, and say, hey, we're done, and, and fold over and say, maybe Daniel Jones isn't our quarterback. But things have completely transitioned in the opposite direction. Yeah, the schedule's tough down the stretch, but again, I think it only really requires one or two more wins to win this division at this point. And for the Giants, you have to give them credit for handling adversity the way they have, especially of late when they're able to gut out a win on the road against the Washington football team, beat the Eagles at home who were in first place at the time, and then now beat the Cincinnati Bengals when you lose your starting quarterback. So I've been impressed by the Giants, even though the schedule and the record doesn't exactly indicate anything that's been all that impressive, but I don't think you expected much from the Giants coming into this season. And to say, hey, they're in first place at the fourth quarter mark of this season, it's got to be pretty impressive in year one for Joe Judge. Here's the thing. There are no style points being awarded to the New York Giants right now. No. But at the same time, when you're atop your division at four and seven, there are never any style points. <laughs> so at some level, it's about just getting to where you need to go and not worrying about how it looks. The Giants are not a great football team. I don't think anyone is making that argument, but they have found ways to win the last few weeks against some competition that many would say is probably not the greatest, but they have still found ways to win, which is important when you are a team that is not very good and are trying to establish a culture, but they they are still finding ways to win. That's the most important thing. And this is just another case of that. I thought their defense again, did a very good job this past week. Brandon Allen making his case for being the worst quarterback in the NFL, 17 to 29, 136, a touchdown interception, quarterback rating of 10. I'll say that again, a quarterback rating of 10. That is awful. But (laughs) at some level, you got to give the Giants credit for doing that. So I thought their defense showed up. That is a unit that has been reliable for them all year, and they are starting to play better football. I'll tell you what, if they could ever find a way to steal a win over Seattle, would they ever be in prime position to take this division and run with it? Now, I don't expect that to happen, especially with Daniel Jones being out, and we'll get to, get to that in a second. But if they could take a win over somebody they're not supposed to beat, I think that would be huge for them going forward. But you have to be encouraged by the way that they are playing right now Joe Judge, I think they've gotten the right guy at the helm, as weird as that is to say, with a team that is four and seven, although they are atop their division. You feel like, again, the issues with them are more with personnel as opposed to Mm -hmm. the way that they are being coached. And there's a lot of credit that's going to go to Joe Judge. But let's flip to the quarterback situation for a moment with Daniel Jones leaving that game, a hamstring injury, probably not going to play this week. He is a guy who has had an up-and-down season this year, kind of hard to figure out exactly what you're getting, has looked good in spots trying to adjust to Jason Garrett's new offense. There were times and flashes that we saw, things that we liked in his rookie season as well. This is going to be a damaging thing for the Giants going forward, and you're hoping it's limited to one week because if Daniel Jones is in there, they're not going to beat Seattle anyway. But then going forward with some of the more important games on their schedule, you are hoping that this is an isolated one-week thing, that he's back and ready to go 
for the week after and then ready to go for down the stretch because they're going to need Daniel Jones at the helm at quarterback. I think they are certainly comfortable enough with him right now to keep rolling with him. It's a really tricky situation for the Giants because you're in a spot where you're, hey, you're in first place. The injury isn't all that serious, but again, you don't want to rush him back because if there's anything you've learned about hamstring injuries is that that is an injury that lingers and can only, can get a lot worse than what it is right now. Yes, it's probably a hamstring strain. It's a low-level one right now, but if you rush him back, that can become a lot worse and that can become a long-term injury. And that's my biggest concern about where the Giants are at right now because you look at the position you say, hey, we're in first place right now. We want to get another big win on our resume to propel us ahead of the football team, ahead of the Eagles, ahead of the Cowboys, and give us a little more of a seat of comfort going forward, knowing what lies ahead in week 17 when they got to play Dallas again. But that you can't rush him back at this point because that is an injury. I cannot stress enough. Hamstring injuries are arguably the hardest to deal with in football, especially for a guy in Daniel Jones as a quarterback who loves to use his legs and is very mobile in the pocket. They have to be really, really careful with him because if you bring him back a week too early, that could be an injury that sidelines him for the entire season. And I know I've said it once and I've probably said it multiple times already, but you have to be really safe with Daniel Jones here um, because this can become a long-term injury that really affects the outcome of their season. And listen, it's not an injury that would be career altering at all, but if the Giants want to make the playoffs, you've got to look in the mirror here and say, hey, Let's give him a week, probably two, honestly. I think he's probably going to need two weeks with that hamstring to make sure it's fully healed. And then you bring him back for the rest of this playoff stretch. And you cannot sacrifice two weeks of a season, um, two weeks right now, for the rest of the season. Because let's be honest, you look at this division, do we see over a half a win combined between the Washington football team, the Eagles, and the Cowboys over the next three weeks? I don't know. Not really. It's, it's hard to say that that would be the case right now. So if you're the Giants and you're Joe Judge, I know he's Mr. Tough Guy, Joe Judge, but you got to be careful in this situation because you're in a position where you can still win this division even if you rest your starting quarterback in Daniel Jones over the next two weeks and make sure that he is healthy going down the stretch. Because if you lose him for good, then you're done. That That is where you are officially eliminated. But you take it safe over these next two weeks, you're still in a position to win the division, regardless of what happens between the Eagles, Cowboys, and football team over these next two weeks. In week 14, the Giants play the Arizona Cardinals as well. So another one where you're sitting there and saying, look, if they have Daniel Jones, great. If not, well, okay, but they're probably not winning that game either way if you're picking that game on paper. But again, who knows what that's going to look like. And Arizona has stumbled the last couple of weeks. It's, of course, the team from the West coast coming East and trying to figure out that whole thing. And Kyler Murray, you never know how healthy he's going to be. So that's another thing to get to two things that are most important with what you just said is of course that Colt McCoy is going to be playing. So the giants would be done if Daniel Jones re-injures, re-aggravates and they have to go with Colt McCoy for an extended period of time. I don't think anyone is, sitting there and ultra confident in what Colt McCoy brings to the table. He is not at Texas anymore. So this is, this is the NFL now. And also one of the biggest things or, or or where Daniel Jones has found the most success this year has been in his mobility as well. 
the dimension of running the football from the quarterback position has been extremely effective for Daniel Jones this season. And it's not just necessarily the quarterback run, but also, hey, I'm going to roll outside the pocket and try and extend the play and, and make a play downfield or something along those lines with some of the spotty offensive line play that the Giants have gotten, especially in pass protection at times throughout this season. So I think it's ultra important that they make sure that he is healthy and ready to go going forward, not only because you're turning to Colt McCoy, but also because you need Daniel Jones not only to be healthy, but to be mobile as well, because that is a huge dimension of his game. And we will see how things turn out for them again, not likely to come away with a win against Seattle, but we're going to have to pick that game and all of the rest of the NFL slate here in week 13 as we transition into our Pick'em segment. This is it. You don't need to watch the games this weekend. You just got to listen to what Jackson and I pick, and we will tell you all of the answers for this weekend upcoming in this NFL season. The fourth quarter starts, and it starts with the Saints and the Falcons from Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. New Orleans, a three-point favorite in this game. Drew Brees still not back. It will be Taysom Hill. The Falcons coming off a big win against the Las Vegas Raiders. Jackson, Saints or Falcons? I'm rolling with the Falcons here, and I I just think it's that the Saints are due for a clunker at this point. Um, They've played really well, especially on the defensive side of the football, and that's what I've been most impressed with them lately. I think Marshawn Lattimore has kind of proven me wrong a little bit over the past few weeks. I've called him one of the most overrated cornerbacks in the entire league, and he's really stepped up his game lately. The pass rush of New Orleans has been terrific, but... I just think they're due for a clunker at this point. They played too well, and I like the trajectory the Falcons are going in really since they've hot, fired uh, Dan Quinn. They're 4-7, and seven, but they're better than the record indicates, and like you mentioned, coming off a big win against Vegas. I think they keep it rolling here and go to 5-7 and seven and take down the first-place Saints. A lot of respect to what Raheem Morris has done since he's taken over in Atlanta, but the Saints are winning this game. They're just too talented. The Falcons have found ways at times to beat themselves this year. That has not been the case as of late. Really impressive what they did to Las Vegas this past week, but I don't think they can replicate that two weeks in a row, and the Saints are rolling right now. Taysom Hill adds that extra dimension to the Saints offense, and I, and I like what they're doing right now with him at the helm. Give me the Saints over the Falcons. On to the Lions and the Bears, an NFC North matchup. That one played in Chicago at Soldier Field. It's the it's the the Lions, rather, who are three-point underdogs on the road. Lions firing their head coach. Matt Patricia is out. Daryl Bevel is in as the interim head coach. For the Bears, it's an embarrassing Sunday night football loss at the hands of the Green Bay Packers. Chicago is spiraling. The Lions have an interim head coach. Jackson, who are you picking? I'm going with the Lions, and I'm giving it the new head coach syndrome is going to prevail in this one. And I, I just think that the Bears are an absolute disaster right now. You mentioned embarrassed on Sunday Night Football to the Packers. This team can't move the ball downfield, and, and that's their biggest weakness, obviously. I think Matt Nagy, after a really promising year one, um, has been a huge disappointment over these last two years. And I'm rolling with the Lions with some newfound energy after getting rid of probably the second-worst coach in the NFL in Matt Patricia. I, I think they'll have some energy and take advantage on the road. Wait, who's number one? All right, I know who it is. I won't say anything. (laughs) This game is such a toss-up. I don't even know what to make of this game because both of these teams are in such bad positions. One's fired their head coach. 
The other one is probably going to do it at the end of the season. The Bears quarterback situation is really bad. Their defense was good earlier this year, but has caught whatever the offense had. So now they're all bad. I don't know. I just think the Bears are more talented at least. So I'm going to take the Bears at home. Sure, this is a toss-up to me, but but it's all right. I'm going to roll with Mitch, Mitch Trubisky and the Bears to win this one. But you know what? I got no idea. But uh, it's, it's a real game of irrelevancy. It's, it's, real, it's a real game it's, of irrelevancy. It, it's just, uh, if, you, if you're watching this game, I'm sorry for you. But we'll pick it. I'm taking the Bears. Uh, also in the 1 o'clock window, we'll go to Browns and Titans. This one in Nashville. The Titans, again, off that huge win over the Colts this weekend. The Browns are playing some good football as well. But they were in a closer game than I think they would have liked to be this past weekend against Jacksonville. Tennessee, a five-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Jackson, Browns, or Titans? I think the Browns might be the most overrated 8-3 and three team in NFL history. Um, personally, you look at the schedule, they haven't played anyone, and when they have played good teams, other than their win over the Colts, it really hasn't gone well. I mean, they got their doors blown off by the Steelers, lost at home, to the uh, to the Raiders, sixteen to six. They barely beat the Texans. Only put up ten points there. This defense is really good, but I think Tennessee is going to exploit them in the run game. And one of the big things we've seen, I think, with the Browns is you if you have a run game and you can pound the ball down their throat, you're going to end up in trouble. And fitting that, we talked about Derrick Henry as an MVP candidate. The Titans are going to need him to play like one again to overcome the Browns. And I, I think the Titans do take this one in Nashville. I'm going to echo pretty much everything that you just said in that the Browns have had trouble at times stopping the run this year. They're also really banged up in the secondary. Denzel Ward is not going to play, so it looks like it could be a big passing day for the Titans in addition to being able to run the football that no one can stop there, too. The Titans are beating the Browns. I'm not terribly impressed with what the Browns have done this year. Give them credit. They are at 8-3, and and they're probably going to be a playoff team, but this is not a game that they win against Tennessee. And now to the Bengals and the Dolphins. Miami, an 11-and-a-half-point favorite at home. The Bengals, I think they're going to play Brandon Allen again. Maybe they'll play Ryan Finley. The Dolphins are hoping to get Tua Tunga by Loa back. If not, it'll be Ryan Fitzpatrick. Jackson, I don't think it matters either way. The spread says it all. We we don't really have to go through this game. I mean, we're rolling with the Dolphins. Brandon Allen, like I mentioned, I mean, he looks like maybe the worst quarterback in NFL history coming off of last week. We're going to go with the Dolphins here. No contest. Yeah, we're going to go with the Dolphins here. We're in a rough stretch here of these three games that we're going to have to pick. <laughs> on to the Jags and the Vikings. This one at U.S. Bank Stadium. Minnesota, 10-point favorite at home. I assume it's the Vikings here? Yeah, we're rolling with the Vikings. I like the football they're playing. Sleeper to maybe make the playoffs here is Minnesota. Off a really slow start. They're at 5-6. and six. I can see them running the table at this point. I'm not saying they're going to do it, but they have the talent to do it and hopefully getting out of feeling back this week. They're such a confusing team. One week they're losing to Dallas. The other, they're playing impressive football. So I don't really know what to make of them. The Jaguars already in an uphill battle for the race for Trevor Lawrence. They don't want to fall any further behind. Let's still remember that Mike Glennon is starting a quarterback for them. It's going to be the Vikings over the Jaguars. And now to the Jets. Yes, the Jets. The Jets host the Raiders at home. Eight-and-a-half-point favorites are the Las Vegas Raiders, who come off of a disappointing loss at the hands of the Atlanta Falcons. The Jets, well, the whole season has been disappointing. They're 0-11. I don't expect their first win this week. No, I don't, but 
No Jonathan, excuse me, no Josh Jacobs, no Jonathan Abram as well. Not like it matters, but um, I am rolling with the Raiders. Raiders are coming off a really bad loss. I mean, th- this one could be a 20-point blowout, um, and honestly, I-, I think it will be a 20-point blowout. I'm rolling with the Raiders. I'm not saying it's impossible for the Jets to win a game for the rest of the year, but there is no way that I will pick them until they prove me otherwise. They can't. They have to prove to me that they can win before I pick them to win, so it's going to be the Raiders over the Jets. I think that's a safe bet there. Colts and Texans from Houston. Deshaun Watson playing better football. Romeo Cornell, the interim head coach there. The Colts, a disappointing loss as we have gotten to throughout this show against the Tennessee Titans. They want to keep pace. The hopes are slim for the for the AFC South, but the Colts really need this win against Houston. They are three-and-a-half-point favorites. I really like the Texans in this one, really like them, and I, I like the direction that they've gone since Bill O'Brien was fired. Deshaun Watson is being allowed to create a lot more plays. The only thing I worry about with the Texans is now no Will Fuller for the rest of the year, who is a huge bright spot for them coming up with the PED suspension, but... They have enough weapons to have success going forward. Brandon Cooks is going to have even more of a role for them. And listen, I just don't buy the Colts for some reason. And I mean, actually, that some reason is probably Phillip Rivers and this lack of um, just competence on offense because you don't know what you're getting from Rivers each day. It's a running back by committee. The weapons aren't great. Their defense is really good. But I don't know. I'm just not buying this Colts team. And I think the Texans take this one at home. These are two teams that are difficult to get a read on, but I'm going to take the Colts in this one. I like what Houston is doing as of late, but I do have confidence that this Colts defense will bounce back. I think what you mentioned about Will Fuller is a huge deal. I think that offense will look a lot different without him. Deshaun Watson is not going to have a number of weapons at his disposal to throw to. So I think the Colts defense wins the day against Houston, and they take a win against the Texans. On to the 4 o'clock window, Rams and Cardinals. This one with some pretty big NFC West implications. Jackson, who are you taking? The Cardinals are three-point underdogs at home at State Farm Stadium. I've been going back and forth between this game, and honestly, like I've been saying this the last three weeks, there's every week I think there's a new best team in the NFC West. I really do because I'm just so confused on who is for real in this division and who is not. And you look to last week, I mean, the Rams lose at home to the 49ers, who got healthy again, but still not a good loss at home, especially when you're fighting for first place in the division. I haven't been all that impressed with the Cardinals lately. I I love their talent going forward, but I think the Rams bounce back and win this one. But again, I'm still really unsure of who is good in this division. If Kyler Murray were healthy and I was confident that he was all set to go, I would take the Cardinals in this one. I am not confident, however. It has been a struggle for him. I think he's being instructed to run less with that shoulder injury, and it is affecting their entire offense. The Rams' defense is very good. Jared Goff has been up and down, but I think that they'll do enough to take home a win on the road. they got to keep pace in the NFC West, and I think they will do that. A matchup that we previewed for a moment here earlier, the Giants and the Seahawks. This one in Seattle. Seattle, a 10.5-point favorite. We touched on it earlier, but I assume you are sticking with the Seahawks in this one. Yeah, there's really no other direction to go in. And with the questions about Daniel Jones' health, I would be picking the Seahawks anyway, but even more confident in that pick now. you got to roll with Seattle. 
Yeah, there's no way that they were pulling this off with Daniel Jones. They're certainly not pulling it off with Colt McCoy at quarterback. Give me the Seahawks over the Giants. As we continue the 4 o'clock window, another game that Fox or, no, it's CBS schedule at the beginning of the year. They thought this was going to be a good matchup. It's really not. The Packers and the Eagles, Packers an 8.5-point favorite at home. We're, we're rolling with the Packers here, right? Yeah, there's no real need to discuss it. The Eagles stink and are probably the biggest frauds in the NFL at this point. So let's stick with Green Bay there. The only thing interesting about this game is how long it's going to take for Carson Wentz to get pulled. It's the (laughs) Packers. That's it. Patriots Chargers from SoFi Stadium at in Inglewood. This is a pick'em game. Patriots slim to none on the hopes to get into the playoffs. The AFC playoff picture is tough, but they're breathing. They have a shot. Can they walk away with a win against the Chargers? I don't think they do. I'm definitely probably higher on the Chargers than most, um, as was clearly indicated by my pick on one-on-one this past week for them to take down the Bills on the road. Uh, Slightly ill-advised there, but um, I like the Chargers at home. They've been in way too many games this year, and I I haven't been impressed with what the Patriots are doing on the offensive side of the football. They're going to really have to run the ball, and I, I don't see them winning this game unless they have 150 yards on the ground. Um, I I like Justin Herbert in this offense, and I think they'll find a way to win. I really don't like the Patriots' offense, but I hate the Chargers' coaching staff even more. (laughs) Hate is a strong word, because Anthony Lynn is a good dude, but what they're doing to that whole football team is just incredible. And let's not forget, we got to remember the history here, what Bill Belichick does to rookie quarterbacks. That is not something to be overlooked in this game. I know it's a tough matchup for New England, going to the west coast but i just like new england and what bill belichick brings to the table against anthony lynn and then a rookie quarterback so give me the patriots to walk away with a win over the chargers to sunday night football it's the broncos and the chiefs kansas city favored by two touchdowns at home it's the chiefs beating the broncos Yep, I'm not even going to say anymore. It's the Chiefs over the Broncos in this one, no question about it. Yeah, that, that number 15 guy who plays for the Chiefs, he's pretty good. Now to our postponed games for Monday. On Monday night, it's Pittsburgh playing the Washington football team. They're at home. Steelers trying to get to 12-0, and 12 and 0 favored by a touchdown. Am I crazy for thinking about Washington here? I, I just haven't been all that impressed by the Steelers. Play. I feel like they've been playing down to competition. That game against Baltimore should have been a blowout, and somehow the Ravens were in it until the end. I like the brand of football Washington's playing lately. I don't think they win this game, but I think this one goes down to the wire. I'll put the Steelers. Well, you came dangerously close to pitch, pitching, picking rather the Washington football team to take down the Steelers. I don't think it's going to be that close. Give me the Steelers. Come on now. Let's let's stay on planet Earth with me here. We've seen crazier, man. I, and the Cowboys almost took them down at home. I, the Washington football team is pretty good. And Come they on. Can fly. Now, uh, now a matchup near and dear to my heart. The Bills and 49ers, 49ers on ESPN's Monday Night Football. The line on this game is even, which I find pretty curious. I don't know who you're leaning here, Jackson. You know where I'm picking. <laughs> I, I've been struggling to pick this game as well. Um, I'm, I'm leaning Buffalo, but San Francisco's finally starting to get healthy, which I think is really interesting. But I think that... The Bills are going to apply a lot of pressure on the quarterback, and they're going to be able to shut down the run game um, of San Francisco. I like San Francisco's defense, but I don't like it enough to take them in this game, so I'm going to take the Bills. 
Contrary to popular belief, San Francisco has actually not run the football as well as many people think. They have a high of 112 yards rushing over the last five weeks or so. They've been pretty well held in check. The win over Los Angeles was very impressive. I don't know that they're able to replicate that two weeks in a row against two good football teams. The Bills are rolling. They've got some momentum. I like what they're doing right now, and I just, on the surface, look, Nick Mullins is still playing quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. They're not going to consistently play good football. The Bills are going to win that game. Even though it's played at State Farm Stadium, it's in Arizona, of course, the 49ers without a home. I think it's interesting that you mentioned the run game. I think a lot of that has been health, though, also. I mean, Raheem Mostert's been out a majority of the season. Uh, Tevin Coleman hasn't played much. I don't even I don't even know who they went to as their third string running back before Jared McKinnon, but he had a big Jeff game. Wilson. Jeff Wilson, thank you. He got hurt basically his first game where he really exploded, but they haven't really been healthy at the running back position and they're predicated on the run game, but Mostert's back, which makes me think this matchup will be interesting, but again, it's not enough for me to pick against the Bills. I get it, but the Bills are going to win, so so that's just what's Clearly, happening. We, we know you think that. We know. Uh, well, I always will. To the final <laughs> matchup of Week 13, we've got more Tuesday night football with some of this weird scheduling. It's Love the that. Cowboys and the Ravens from M&T Bank Stadium. Not 100% sure whether or not Lamar Jackson is going to play. There isn't a line on this game as of yet. I think as a result of that, I don't know that it matters to me who's playing quarterback yeah. in this one because I think I'm still taking the Ravens. I'm taking the Ravens if it's me or you at quarterback, either way. Um, I would. Yeah, I think it'd be pretty cool to see Trace McSorley start a game at this point just to see someone new. Um, but I think Lamar Jackson will probably be back in all likelihood, and we'll see what happens there. But like you said, the Ravens need to win badly. They're going to be playing like a desperate football team, and well, the Cowboys are the Cowboys this year. Without Dak Prescott, I don't see this team winning many, if any, games um, the rest of the way. So I'm rolling with Baltimore. Baltimore needs a win as desperately as any team in the NFL, and I think they're well coached enough. Mike McCarthy, it's been a rough year one, and especially without Dak Prescott to help him overcome all of the craziness that has happened with him and his coaching staff. I think the Ravens are going to come out on top and win that one. Some more Tuesday night football. Getting accustomed to that. I like it. I love it. Listen, give us some more Wednesday night football, too, or Wednesday afternoon football. That is, I enjoyed turning on the TV and seeing Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth do football at 4 o'clock on a Wednesday. I don't think I'd ever see that, but, heck, this is 2020, man. Anything can happen. It's the NFL version of Maction. So, look, I'm all for it. Let's make sure that we we let it continue. That's it for the Week 13 edition of NFL Friday. You can catch us every Friday of the NFL season wherever you get your podcast. Jackson Heil, Nick DeLuca, happy weekend, everybody. Enjoy some NFL action this week.